Hello, and welcome to Shakespeare, the roundtable discussion podcast where we talk about Shakespeare. My name is Chase, your mostly quiet producer. We've got kind of a weird one for you today. Due to an unforeseen turn of events, uh, we were down to three hosts this time around. So, uh, very long story short, we invited some of uh, the local high school students that we know through uh, Cassie teaching at Horizon Youth Theater over uh, to get a different perspective on Shakespeare. So, uh, without any further ado, on with the show. This is the Shakespeare Podcast. I'm Ryan Halfhill. I'm Cassie Greenlee. I'm Chase Greenlee, and we've got guests. We've now. got guests. Yeah, this is actually the most guests we've ever had. So we're short. <laughs> we're short a co-host. We're short Beth, um, due to mysterious illness and searing eye pain. But we have gained three guests with three and a half. There is one lad sitting over by the wall who's probably not going to participate, but he's here. He's here. Um, so generally speaking, this is, uh, this is on Shakespeare. We get drunk and we talk about Shakespeare. We were refraining. We're not going to get drunk or have you guys get drunk, obviously. Well, you're all, they're all underage. You're all underage. (laughs) Sorry, I think I have to, I don't know. I was was misled about the. You're, you're all underage. (laughs) And so therefore we cannot provide to you. The means to uh, to do the shakes beer part. <laughs> yes, we'll just do the shaking bit then. I guess we'll do the, yes. we'll do the shakes, shakes part, right but not the beer part. Beautiful, thank you. Mm-hmm. So, if you guys want to introduce yourself, and you can do first name only or first name last name if you prefer, it's up to you entirely. Hello, I am Bob Walters. Hi, I'm Thomas Long. And hi, I'm Tara Sloan. And these are three of my uh, Horizon e Theater students. And if you want to throw your name into the mix. And the lad on the wall is Carter Lee. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Lad on the wall. Nice. Uh, nice so to meet you are, all. These are some of my theater students um, who responded very generously to an emergency <laughs> text that I sent out, which was great. Um, and so we are going to dedicate this episode to Can Ryan Convince Thomas Long to Love Shakespeare? In one episode. In one episode and one episode only. One episode and one episode only. So why don't you guys, and Bob and Tara will be here to kind of kip it on the side, I guess. So if you guys want to give a brief uh, introduction in terms of how familiar you are with Shakespeare, yeah, let's, how much let's, you've performed, how much you've yeah. seen, and what your personal opinion on Shakespeare is. How much do you and I'll do I'll do the same. So go ahead, you guys go ahead, and then I'll go um, with my experience and everything else. I feel like if we start with Tara, then we'll all, we'll all get overshadowed by yeah, Bobby's the, the, the uh, enormous <laughs> amounts. Not even denying it. So I have performed in a few Shakespeare shows, uh, some with very small roles, mainly only one uh, full-on show with Romeo and Juliet that HYT did recently. Uh, I've read a couple on of the plays. playground, right? Yes, on yep. the playground, which yeah. was very, very fun. Uh, Cassie was able to do that, which was amazing. That was out in uh, Togany, right? Yep, yep. yep. Uh, but I've also read a couple of shows, and mainly through school, and then also seen quite a variety of Shakespeare shows as well. And I very much enjoy Shakespeare. Uh, Excellent. Fantastic. Oh, we're gonna oh, leave okay. Thomas for right. last. Oh, wonderful! Oh, great. That's awesome. great. He's the subject end. of this. Uh, 
Experiment. Experiment. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Um, I almost wanted to be a, a human subject before. This is so exciting. Yeah, it's, it's your chance. Um, I I was in A Midsummer Night's Dream when I was probably about seven years old, and that's kind of what opened my eyes to Shakespeare. But I've also I just played Tybalt recently in uh, our production of Romeo and Juliet, and I've also played Antipholus of Syracuse in Comedy of Errors. The one whose fault it is. Yes. Everything. We, we read Comedy of Errors and did it on podcast. Everything recently. is Antipholus of Syracuse. Yeah. Everything fault. is Antipholus oh, yes. of Syracuse's fault. Yeah, that's, that's pretty true. Um, and I've read a, a whole bunch. I've done a couple of Shakespeare monologues, and my father is an extreme Shakespeare fan, so I've, I've had to read a lot throughout my entire life, So, and I love him. Love the guy. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. So we've got love and we've got enjoy quite a bit. Yeah. And now we have... Uh, <laughs> I'm... My, yeah. I'm Thomas. Um, I I was also in uh, Midsummer's Night's Dream. I, uh, I probably got that wrong. Um, I think I was eight-ish. So I don't remember any of you it. And I was I was an elf. I was a self-proclaimed elf he named Thistle. Alright, I had nothing against fairies. I just really liked elves, was the thing. Either way. Um Okay, so you played Thistle yes. in a Midsummer Night Dream. Yes. Uh and then I was uh <clears throat> I was Romeo in a very interesting um version of Romeo and Juliet. I believe it was called the Susification of, yes. of Romeo it was and Juliet. The Susification of Romeo and Juliet. Which some would consider not Shakespeare, and to them I absolutely agree it was nothing like Shakespeare. Um, but it was a lot of fun. I re- it was my favorite involvement with a Shakespeare thing, because I also read Comedy of Errors sophomore year. With, nope. Much Ado About Nothing. Yeah, I read Much Ado About, about nothing. nothing. I mixed them up. People can hear and make fun of me for that. I, I uh, Don't worry about it. We mix things up all the time. <laughs> oh, regularly. Regularly. Um... Yeah, and uh, of course, being forced to read something for an English class is never nearly as much fun as just reading it or performing it because you want to. Um, oh, for sure, for sure. Oh, absolutely, right now. Uh, and like, I, I, oh shoot! Then I had that one. There was the Shakespeare monologue that I did during monologue class. Yeah, I made you do Friar Lawrence's monologue that for I monologue class. Deeply struggled with. I could not figure out how to how to read a single line. None, none of it made any sense to me. It was I had a I had this huge roadblock, and like usually I knew. Like, how to say stuff and what to say and everything. Well, obviously, what's in the script. But um, and, like, I was seeing all these people, like like Tara and, like, Bob and, like, all these other people go up there and perform these Shakespeare monologues. And I was like, dang, that looks pretty cool. And then I would go up there and have no idea what was going on. And that continued for a long time. Until right now, I guess, is when this <laughs> is going to change. Um, but right. I, did, I, did, I did see Othello in Stratford, which was phenomenal. I will say, Othello is a fantastic play. Um, I was cursed once by my friend Tyler Ward, uh, Lemons now, um, by, we did a Shakespeare shorts many years ago, uh, where I had to play Othello. Um, and my good friend Michael Porteous was my Iago. And, wow, that is very good. <laughs> and, uh, and Tyler directed it, but then also, um, played Claudio walking by with the handkerchief, because we did the handkerchief scene near the false... Cassio. Or Cassio, sorry, yes, Cassio. See, we do make mistakes. <laughs> um, Claudio is in Much Ado About Nothing. Yeah. Cassio is in Othello. Claudio is uh, also in Measure for Measure, which is maybe why that name's on the bottom. Maybe, maybe. Uh, yep, maybe. that's possible, because Measure for Measure was what we were going to do tonight, instead of doing this. Um, 
but Cassio walking by with the handkerchief, the the, you know, the false to me, you know, where where Iago was whispering in in Othello's ear, and and Othello is getting more and more worked up. Um, so, um, but I can never play Othello for real because I'm a big white boy. There's yeah, there's that. <laughs> there's um, but that. it's a it's a curse because I would love to play that role. Right. Um, it's a phenomenal role. Um, so my Shakespeare history. Um, Goes back probably before all of you were born. <laughs> um, middle school, so definitely. Yeah. Um, so when I was in junior high, I went to the local library and I grabbed the complete works of William Shakespeare uh-huh. off the shelf. Right. And I checked it out and I started reading. And I read the complete works of William Shakespeare as a seventh grader. I convinced my seventh grade middle school teacher to let us do a Midsummer Night's Dream in class. Um, and I was hooked. And then my first experience performing Shakespeare was my eighth grade year. I was in a production here at Bowling Green State University of the Scottish play, uh, Macbeth. And since we're not on stage, I can say it. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, but yeah, Macbeth, I played uh, Macduff's son. Mm. And that was my first time performing Shakespeare. And it was the first, it was the, the last time until I came to, to college at Bowling Green and got involved with beautiful kids, independent Shakespeare company. Um, which sadly doesn't Which exist. sadly no longer exists. Um, had a good run. Yeah. Had a good long run. Um, nearly 20 years of doing Shakespeare in the park in Bowling Green. Uh, every, every spring. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did my first production of The Tempest Ooh. at that point. And I played Caliban. Um, and then I continued to do Shakespeare as often as humanly possible. Um, including with, you know, founding a theater company in this town that did Shakespeare every fall, except for one year where we did Moliere, which is how I met Bob Walters. Um, we did the Bourgeois Gentleman. Um, so I have, uh, I, uh, the first, the first official play that Lion Face Productions did when we were still around as Lion Face Productions, um, I directed Titus Andronicus. You'll which learn is, about which is Titus a, a frequent reaction to Titus. <laughs> uh, for those at home, uh, Thomas just did a full body shrug. Um, it's a usual yeah. move. Yeah. Ty- Titus Andronicus is how I got Chase Greenlee. Ooh. Yes, that was the first Shakespeare. Because I, you know, I read the... You know, the ones, that, the ones they make you do of, in yeah, high school, right? Two of the five mandatory Julius Caesar, ones. Hamlet... Hamlet, you know, Macbeth. They make you uh, read in, you know. Henry V. Henry V. Henry V. Yes. Oh, don't worry. You'll love Henry V before this is over. I doubt Okay. That. All right. I was, I was like. <laughs> I, no, I guarantee you, if you have not seen Henry V performed, you have not seen Henry V. Yeah, I, I, Shakespeare, Shakespeare was not written yeah. for you okay. to sit down. It was okay. not written for you to sit down like I did in seventh grade with this. Yeah. And read from cover to cover that is not Shakespeare. 
And then, can, can I just tell you real quick? No, oh, you can tell me anything. How, you want. how my English teachers decided the best way, the, be, oh. the best way to teach Henry V was, was to give the script to the freshman class, freshman in high school. We don't know anything, especially the parts, the scenes that are spoken in French, they gave to the French 1 students and said, hey, read this. French 1 students know how to, like, pronounce the, they know how to pronounce the five vowels, and they know how to say, it was like, je m'appelle uh, Henry V. Like, it was volunteers reading out loud, and people volunteered who did not know how to read Shakespeare. It, it was... Exhausting. This episode might turn into Can Thomas Long Make Ryan Hethel Cry <laughs> in one episode. Je, je parle français un petit peu. Yeah. Cannot do the French scenes <laughs> in Henry V. But as je, ne, je ne comprends pas. As we discussed when we discussed Henry V, you can remove the French from the show entirely. Well, yes, and actually I've been in a production where the French is removed entirely. I played Henry V. Oh. Um, for beautiful kids. Does he actually speak French at any point? No. No, he doesn't. That's (laughs) part of the play. Yeah, that's, yeah. (laughs) Part of the play is the fact that he, He the, the, the language barrier between him and Catherine, where he can't speak French. Even though for a long time, all English nobility spoke French because of the Normans in 1066, when William the Conqueror, Battle of Hastings, everything like that. And so for a while, all the English nobility spoke French. Um, It's also like a cool language. So I, yeah, learn languages. Jeez. But but to go to to go back, so I directed I directed my first Shakespeare, and nobody directs Titus Andronicus, especially not as their first play. Um, But that's how I got Chase, and that's why ten years later, Chase is producing a podcast (laughs) called Shakespeare, where we sit around, we drink, we talk about Shakespeare, and we've done most of them. Most of them. (laughs) One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven that we haven't done. So we've done twenty six so of Shakespeare's thirty seven plays. Thirty eight or whatever that. Well, give or take. <laughs> yes. Right, and then you know, one hundred and fifty four sonnets, and you know, um, and I've been in some of the obscure plays, and I've been in some of the well known plays. I've been in, I've been in Macbeth. Three times. I have to do it one more time so I can have officially done all the fights. (laughs) Because I played Macduff's son, I have played Macduff, and I have played Banquo. The only one I haven't played is the lead man himself, and that's the only fight that I haven't been is Mackers versus Young Seward. That's the only fight in that show I haven't done. I've done that one. Yes. Murdered. (laughs) When When I played Macduff, Chase was Young Seward. And it is... A brutal death at the hands of uh, one time. A far, a far, ex- a far more experienced warrior destroying a poor young soldier. Yep. Um, and so uh, I've done Hamlet a few times. As uh, I've been Horatio, I have been Claudio. I have been uh, one time I was just the ghost of Hamlet's father. One time I was Claudio and the ghost of Hamlet's father. Ooh. They don't share scenes. Oh, I was I was expecting like a really cool like you just running back and forth. On well, stage no, I, I didn't like... run back and forth on stage. No, but I did have to do a, a couple quick changes to get out of being the ghost and get into being Claudio. Just throw a sheet on, take a sheet off, and everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so my my love affair with Shakespeare started pretty young. Right. 
And so I understand when you can't understand the language and things like that, that it becomes difficult to connect with Shakespeare. But I had a little inkling from Cassie here. Um, you really enjoyed Iago. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay, good. Because that's going to segue me into talking about one of my favorite Shakespeare plays. So, one, I love Othello. Iago is fantastic. But we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about prototype Iago. Prototype Iago is a character by the name of Aaron the Moor. Aaron the Moor is the baddest bad that ever batted. He That's is a, saying quite a bit. He is worse than Aaron the Moor. He's a straight up criminal. Have you heard, uh, uh, perhaps you've ever heard of a cultural phenomenon called your mom jokes? <laughs> Oh, I, I believe I was in middle school and I am familiar. <laughs> That's not Excellent. What I was yes. Shakespeare. Yeah. Shakespeare invented your mom jokes. You're not helping your case with making me love Shakespeare. <laughs> Aaron the Moor delivers the first ever your mom joke this is the in best written day of my language. Life. Wow. Oh. Oh, are oh, we going to hear it? Chiron and Demetrius. <laughs> Sons of Tamara, Queen of the Goths, uh, look at Aaron, and he has done something that has caused strife, the potential strife to hit Tamora, Queen of the Goths. And they look at him and go, Villain, you have undone our mother. And he looks at them and goes, Villain, I have done thy mother. Oh, no. The first ever written, (laughs) the first ever written your mom joke. Uh, happens in a play called Titus Andronicus. Cool. Great. Great. So, Aaron the Moor. You love Iago, right? Yes. So, Aaron the Moor, when I directed this, my friend, my friend Michael Porteous played Aaron the Moor. Um, are you familiar with the Rolling Stones track, Sympathy for the Devil? Like, just the song itself? Yes, just, the yeah. song itself. New. No. You've never heard... Oh, I, I don't listen to music, sorry. <laughs> I've, I've basically got so, so we have to make Thomas Long like music. <laughs> I think you're down to like 38 minutes or something right now. We so. have to make Thomas Long like music yeah. so we can get him to like Shakespeare. Just listen here. I listen to Jonathan Colton and the Newsies soundtrack, and that's pretty much. It. You know Christian Bale. I do, I do. I do. I'm aware of Christian Bale. Okay, Christian Bale was in Newsies. Oh yes, the film version of Newsies. Christian Bale is a Shakespearean actor as well. Oh, yeah. I love watching you play Six Degrees of Separation. Exactly. Things Thomas likes. I, hey, <laughs> to Shakespeare. hey, look, this is this is what we're talking about. So you enjoyed Iago, though. Yes. What yes. were some of the things you enjoyed about Iago? Oh, just how perfect his word. Like he knew exactly what to say, when to say it. Um, he knew where to be, what to do. It was just, it was. It. I mean, obviously, obviously the play, the play is scripted, and like everything is is there. But it's like Iago could read the script, and he knew exactly where to be and what to do. And, and that's that's exactly right. Iago Iago plays Othello in such a way, not just Othello, but everyone oh, else yeah, around no, him, in such a way that's ex- exactly as if he is writing the action. Yeah. So Aaron the Moor is very, very similar in that regard. Is it like I call him a proto Iago because Titus Andronicus is often considered one of Shakespeare's first plays. Mm-hmm. It's also considered his bloodiest play. Really, it is his bloodiest play by a wide margin. There's there are what was my statistic? I don't remember. It was something like. 5.2 atrocities per act are committed. <laughs> there are Can you at least define an atrocity for me? Uh, rape, murder, mutilation. Oh, wow. 
or was it Shakespeare's emo phase? Is that seriously what I'm Shakespeare got like he well, started Sha- in Sha- his emo he, phase. He, he started off in the Tarantino phase. <laughs> Shakespeare actually at the time when he was writing was often collaborating with other fellow writers, and there were several writers around the time that wrote a lot of gore. Mm-hmm. And Shakespeare got into that in the beginning as a way of getting into playwriting uh, that got him got him started, and so Titus is often considered one of his considered one of his first plays because it comes early and it is very gory. Um, so have you ever, okay. So you, you, are you familiar with Sweeney Todd? Yes. Well, yes, I'm familiar. Yes. Familiar is the right word for. Okay. So you understand that the people, people are, are baked into pies and eaten, right? Oh yes. Titus Andronicus started that. Oh no. (laughs) Okay. Oh Yes. Yes. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> so, so what it, what it starts with is is Titus and his sons return from from war against the Goths. They're Romans. They return from war against the Goths, and they bring back prisoners: Tamara, Queen of the Goths, and her sons. And in the very first act, the very first scene, beginning of the first scene, they sacrifice one of Tamara's sons as a to the Roman gods as a you know, hey, you know, wait, great, we made it back, and you know, they fucking you know, and he lost several sons in the war because he had. 17,000 of them. And <laughs> no, he literally lost 21 sons in the war and came back with four. Oh, boy. Yeah, he had 25 sons, one daughter. That's a that's a large percentile there. Of his the daughter will become important later. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so he he comes back from war. They sacrifice one of the sons. So Tamara at that point has decided that she's basically Titus owes her a blood debt and she's going to do everything she can to ruin his life. Yeah. Which she proceeds to do. Awesome. Um, and she has two sons, Chiron and Demetrius, um, who basically do everything, you know, that she wants to go along with that. And then Aaron the Moor, who takes everything that Tamara wants to do just just a little bit further. He's more conniving and more controlling. And he amps up the levels. So that gets us talking into um, you know, how you how you enjoy Iago and how he has control of everything. Aaron the Moor is the same in an earlier version. So it's a you know a more a, a growth of what Iago would become started with Titus Andronicus. So he already had the the flesh of what he was gonna do later in Othello right from the get go. And this is something that that Shakespeare did throughout all of his plays. You can find, uh, as you go back into his earlier works, you can find the growth of all of his different character archetypes throughout the entire complete works. And so, uh, the the crazy shit that happens. So, okay, so Chiron and Demetrius trick two of Titus' sons to fall in this pit with a dead guy. Good, good prank. Good. <laughs> they murdered. They murdered this guy. Put him in a pit. Two of Titus's sons fall in the pit. This is after Titus killed one of his other sons. As, as someone who played one of the sons, uh, it is worth pointing out. Yeah, it's hard to stage falling in a pit yes. accidentally <laughs> because it is a pit. Trapdoor. Yeah. Trap exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you had to fall off the edge of the stage, wasn't it? Yeah, there was out a needle hall there. Yeah, out of needle hall in the park. Yeah. Yeah, so 
<laughs> so they get framed for murder. And the murder happens to be of a guy by the name of Bassianus, who is the brother of Saturnine, who is the emperor of Rome at the time. There was an election at the beginning. It was between Bassianus and Saturnine. They were electing the emperor of Rome. That's, uh, is that usually how emperors get no. in power? <laughs> I, I want that guy to be in control. No, but Tamara, 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 whose lover is Aaron the Moor, has also started sleeping with Saturnine. Mm. Well. Aaron the Moore is totally cool with it. Oh. Very progressive. Of course. He's very progressive, and also it gets him what he wants. Because (laughs) now he has control over an emperor of Rome through the vagina of, you know, his girlfriend. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Thank you, Tara, for the reassuring (laughs) pat. Yeah, yeah. So, Titus's sons are being murdered off by... By Tamara's plotting and things like that, and also Titus, I, I guess. <laughs> well, and Titus, just the one. So he's he's down he's down to the one son then now, if I'm counting correctly. He has well, four down. Yes, three. he yes, is down to the his one. His other two get executed for his other two right. get executed and for can, can for I murder. Just say, and he's got um, the daughter still. Okay, of course. Of so course. there's a one son, one daughter. What kind of what, what kind like did they just assume that they were just awful murderers that they killed this man and then just stayed in the pit with him? Like <laughs> this is this is yeah. the perfect. Oh life. yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Saturnine is not the smartest emperor. So like, Oh, they he were... didn't. He didn't look very far into it. He got him what he wanted, <laughs> which was, guy. which was some, some basically some more control over uh, over Titus. Um, Titus also has a brother named Marcus Andronicus, um, and you know, as as the aforementioned daughter, and eventually Chiron and Demetrius, they go a bridge too far. A bridge too far involves raping. Lavinia, the daughter of Titus, cutting off her hands, cutting out her tongue, and leaving her in the woods, where she's found by her uncle Marcus Andronicus, who delivers one of the most heartbreaking monologues that I've ever heard performed. And when when I directed it, there was a guy by the name of Darren Kerr, who is no longer in Bowling Green, and you are all sad that you never saw him perform. You're all too young for that. <laughs> um, but Darren delivered it in such a, just a fucking wrenching way. Uh, pardon my language, I know you're all young. Um, yeah, I've never, I've never heard I a think, swear word before. Yeah, yeah, yeah never. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I think Bob worked with Darren, because didn't yes. he direct yeah, Darren? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Winter's Tale. Yep, yep. So yeah, you've met Darren. Yes, just barely. That was my second show ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, phenomenal actor, uh, wonderful to work with. I had the opportunity to work with Darren a couple of times as a director and as a performer uh, a couple of times. It was fantastic to work with. Um, so they obviously Chiron and Demetrius go a bridge too far. They're yes, right, they go, they go nineteen yes. bridges too far. Yes, how do you do that on stage? Just you like, don't. It happens off stage. Oh, that okay. happens. That happens off stage. Okay, cool. Well, and the 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 sons have not yet been executed because then so Marcus finds it. They take they take Lavinia to Titus. Titus. This is the beginning of Titus's descent into madness. And Aaron the Moor shows up, knowing full well that Saturnine had nothing to do with saying any of this. He literally does this to control the situation and for shits and grins. He walks in and he tells Titus that Saturnine has said he will free his sons 
and this is to you know Lavinia is there and 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 Titus is there and and Marcus is there and the son uh, Lucius is there, and Aaron says that Saturnine will will free and forgive the other two sons of Titus Andronicus if one of them will cut off their hand and send it to Saturnine. Saturnite had nothing to do with this. This is literally Aaron just coming in to fuck with people. Like you like you do. <laughs> you know, um, nobody fun if I got these people to send hands places. And so for Mark, Marcus and Lucius and Titus, they all argue, and, and Titus has decided he's gonna do it, and they have all decided they're gonna do it. And Lucius <laughs> Lucius is like, I will fetch an axe. And Marcus goes, I will use the axe, and they both leave. And Titus goes, hey, Aaron, come over here and chop my fucking hand off. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And he does. Uh, right. <laughs> and they send it to Saturnine. And then, like... Saturnine's like, and then what? Aaron, what? Aaron comes back and was like, oh, sorry. You're too late. <laughs> here already, are your son's heads. Here, here's your son's heads and burlap sacks. Hope you didn't do anything rash in the meantime. <laughs> Hope you didn't, you know, cut off your fucking hand and send it to the emperor. Or anything. And so eventually this causes Titus to, you know, as as I said, descend into madness. And Chiron and Demetrius end up over at Titus's house. Where Titus and Lavinia, Titus slits their throats while Lavinia with her stumps holds a bowl to collect the blood that comes... And that does happen on stage. And that does happen on stage. I'm I'm getting, I'm starting to get more increasingly worried of how people actually did this on stage without committing mass murder. Now, 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 see, I just want a a Shakespeare show where, like, a bunch of crazy stuff happens, but it's all, like, talked about on stage, about it happening off stage. So it's like, did you hear there was, like, a dragon? (laughs) See, that's the the thing about Henry V. (laughs) All of the good stuff happens off stage. It's also the beginning of Macbeth. In the beginning I mean, of exactly. Macbeth, I had that monologue where I, like, you know, where well, yeah, you you played one of the you played one of the sergeant's exposition. Yeah, and, and, and it, it, I talk about Macker's like just chopping people in half, straight it's, murdering. Yeah, people. no, I, he cleft him from nate to chap. Yep. It was a very difficult line for me. His hand was smoking reason. with bloody execution or whatnot. We are starting See, to read you, that in class right you, now. You tell me that you don't like Shakespeare, and then you you we, know we read that on Friday. We're we're learning. We're learning, we're learning it right now in class. Play. We just finished that. And I also like Macbeth. It's it's, it's all. It is my favorite Shakespeare it's, play. It's very good. It will all my pretty chickens and their dam in one fell swoop. Uh. The the scene where where Macduff learns about the death of his family is one of the most heart wrenching things that's ever been committed to paper. Mm-hmm. Then there's like the Notebook and everything. Like, oh. <laughs> the second time that Thomas has talked about the <laughs> Notebook tonight. I've never seen the fucking Notebook. I've never seen Red. Does somebody get murdered brutally in the Notebook? I hope so. It'd be the I'm more, okay, I'm, I'm, reason I would read it. I'm more interested in the notebook if there's brutal murder. Then I'm going to tell you, yes, there is, because I want to trick you into reading the notebook. I mean, su- super hot Rachel McAdams is in the film version. Cassie, have you read the notebook? I have. I went she through read, a She reads all space. that stuff. She's been, what? It was very brief. It was when I was in high school. I yeah, read she, like two she, books and then I went, oh no, these aren't good. Thank she's you. read she's read all that stuff. Yeah. I'm really sorry about my notebook, you please keep it. 
No. Um, so anyway, so so they murder Chiron and Demetrius, right? By slitting their throats and and Lavinia's like with her stumps. Holding vivid image. You can right talk there. to Megan Kester. She played Lavinia. Yeah, what? Megan Megan Kester's played my Lavinia. That makes sense. Pat Mahood played Lucius. If you, 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 ask, know if Pat. you ask, if you yeah. ask Megan very nicely, there is a non-zero chance that the stumps are still in the back of her car. Oh my god! <laughs> they yeah, were, she might. Yeah, she might still have stumps. You know. She, she. I don't know when I moved. When Cassie and I moved away from BG, which was I think three or four years after this production, they the were still ages. in the back of her car. <laughs> Because it's just one of those things, like you, you know, you got stuff in the back of your car. Why would you like, ever take them out of the back? Of that's your actually, car? it's actually one of the best. The best. It might still be the best performance I've ever seen Megan deliver. Well, and was as Lavinia, and it was some of the best costume work we ever had for. Oh, for yeah, for sure. Face for sure. It she was, did. She did great stuff. It was that, and I always loved your uh, the uh, uh, Hamlet's ghost. The King Hamlet's ghost. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that costume was also phenomenal, and not just because I took a really great picture of you. Yeah, that is a really good picture. <laughs> that is a really good picture. That was the one where I only played the ghost. That was where I only played ghost Hamlet, because Hamlet's father is also Hamlet. Awesome. Hamlet is that. Hamlet Jr. <laughs> but there is not a Hamlet yes. Jr. version. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank God. Oh, well, that would man. That'd be all, well, all, yeah. all yeah. Hamlet. Hamlet is Hamlet Junior because yeah. Well, anyway, is Hamlet Junior. Chiron and Demetrius. Chiron and Demetrius get murdered, and then and she, then, then Titus invites everybody over for a dinner party. This this can only go well. This can only go really really well. Do you remember the Sweeney Todd? The Sweeney Todd reference we earlier. Oh oh boy. Oh, yes, oh, I do. Oh, no. Oh, Kyra and Demetrius are baked into pies <laughs> and fed to their mother. <laughs> and Saturnine. And then Titus murders his daughter in front of all of them. Well, wait, whoa, where did that come from? He was just collecting blood. That's a, like, huge father-daughter bonding activity. I thought that they were going to be super Well, he's worried, about the, he's worried about the quality of her life after everything that's happened you know, to her. And so he, I'm surprised she's still alive. So he, euthani- he euthanizes his daughter <laughs> in front of everyone. Oh, no. And then... Lucius murders. Sa- well, he kills Tim. He kills Tamara. Yeah. And then Lucius kills Saturnine. Yeah. Well, because Saturnine killed Titus. Yeah. Which was predictable, of course. So literally, the end of the play happens. He bakes Chiron and Demetrius into the pie. Everybody eats. Then he then he kills his daughter. Stab. Then he kills Tamara. Stab. Then Saturnine kills him. And then Lucius kills Saturnine. Oh, so many. And Lucius wins. <laughs> And right. by Harry's, default. And Harry's, this is the only one still alive. Because he's the only one still alive. Him and Aaron the Moore, right. Aaron the Moore are the only ones still alive at the end of the play. Um, and Aaron's daughter. And Aaron's, yes, Aaron's daughter. With Tamara. Because Tamara is pregnant during this time Ooh. as well. Gives birth to a black baby. Because Aaron the Moore is... is Moore, yes. Yeah. And Saturnine thinks it's his baby all along. They're going to murder the baby, and Aaron goes, oh, fuck that, I'm taking this baby with me, and jets. Boom, there it is. Except that Lucius he gets catches him, captured and he by Lucius and buried then, up to his neck in the dirt and abandoned I'll, until he starts it up. 
So theoretically, he's alive at the end of the play. I mean, he can get out of it. It could have been this scene. It could have been like that scene in the Scorpion King. Like they got out. What if Aaron's the friar? Oh, holy crap! Oh yeah, you guys haven't heard about our theory about the fact that the friier in every play is the Bob and Tara may have because I think I talked about it. Yeah, okay. I was like, I don't, you know, I assume I, I don't know if any of you guys listen to the podcast. I know you don't. I, I've listened to like half of an episode, um, and then I forgot to keep listening. I listened to Romeo and Juliet in preparation for the audition. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> one of my—that's actually our worst episode. <laughs> so whose fault is that, Ryan? Mine? Oh no, completely mine. I hate that fucking so, play. So here, here's the thing: depending on who you talk to, it's either the best or the worst episode. Because I, I know it. some people that love the fighting and some people that hate the fighting. Mm. I'm really interested in the ratings of this episode to see. If oh, I, I think no, this, who are these three, four random teenagers that are just so, here? So, so, so now we've talked about you. You know, we we have Iago. Right. There's a connection there with with Aaron the Moor. Yeah, we've talked about Shakespeare's goriest play you like Mackers I do you like Iago I do do you like do you like Othello as a whole yes uh, yeah I enjoy As- aside from the fact that Desdemona talks after she's been strangled to death <laughs> yes. that that did it does take away right it, it, it kind of threw me off <laughs> I was like oh and she's up again <laughs> this is like the the second the second ring of health that a I boss think, has yeah exactly yeah yeah she responds she responds um it's it's not a great respawn though no I it's, think like, well she she responded though somebody was spawn camping <laughs> <laughs> and what I do find like really really funny is that like it seemed like Iago had everything perfectly planned perfectly in control until like the very end where he was like and this is exactly where my plan stops as everyone has weapons and is extremely angry in the same room as me like, <laughs> like seriously you had no exit plan whatsoever he had, he had no exit he didn't strategy count, he, he didn't, didn't count on Amelia he right. didn't account for his he didn't account for his wife it would have all worked out exactly as he wanted to it, but his wife was sick but, of his shit yeah and like if, and he, if he had anticipated smart. that at all and like like uh, uh, paid a, like more attention to it. I feel like it's so funny because he seems so on top of it the entire time, and then he just completely. Well, that's because, that's because it, he's had Amelia under yeah. his thumb the entirety yeah. of their relationship and everything like that. But Amelia is actually one of Shakespeare's strongest female characters. Yes. Yep. One of, like for a guy five hundred plus years ago. The fact that he was writing strong female characters at all, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, and and you know, and even in even in his plays, there there are still somewhat few and far between, but there are some that are incredibly amazing, and Amelia is one of them, yeah. and she's an incredibly strong female character, and she wrecks Iago's shit so hard because he cannot fathom the fact that she has decided she's tired of his shit. And so, you're exactly right. He had no exit strategy because he had no he had no thought that his own wife was gonna th- fucking sell him up the river. Right. <laughs> and she does, and then he finds himself in a room filled with angry people <laughs> with, with weapons. weapons. Yep. And you're, he's, he's you're, got like he's got like a knife or something. He's like, ah, I got this. He does not got this. <laughs> he does not, in fact, got this. You're right. And so, so, so we've established that. Through Iago, you started to enjoy Shakespeare. Yes. Yeah. 
So what was your initial reason for not liking Shakespeare? Um, okay, I'm going to get a little bit personal. Uh, it okay. is that um, I went to a, a very small, well, a very small, very small elementary school in which I was homeschooled and I was the only kid. Um, <laughs> that is quite small. It's pretty small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. And so, like, I uh, I was just really good at school, even, like, when I was younger. And so it was just it was just a lot of fun for me, and I really understood everything that was going on. This continued in middle school, and then I got to see, like, other people. Um, and then, like, I found out that I was, like... That that uh, I like school more than they did, and so I was like, I just in general was better at school. Um, and then I finally hit this like this huge block in in poetry and in Shakespeare, which uh, I found all of my friends were like really really good at properly expressing themselves and and saying beautiful things and writing beautiful intricate things. And I was just sitting there with my like formulaic essays and like I, I don't know I I, just, I couldn't figure out how to be. Uh, like creative and poetic, and Shakespeare was a great example and a great um, uh, like lens for me to see through to to be like, okay, I don't get any of this. None of this makes any sense to me. And for the first time, it doesn't make any sense to me, and it makes sense to other people. Um, and it it really messed me up when I was when I was younger because I was so. You were ridiculous. used. You were used to being good at at, at like school at type school things. related things. Exactly. All right, and the and the language. The language did you in? Absolutely, I will. And that's, that's, that's but that's that's the usual barrier, right? Yes. Yeah. So language is usually the barrier to Shakespeare because it's written in in prose and verse, iambic pentameter. Um, though there are only two of Shakespeare's plays that are written entirely in verse, none are written entirely in prose. Mm-hmm. There are two that are written entirely in verse, but most of them are a mixture of prose and verse, and it, it is actually based upon. Generally, about who the characters are yes. and how uh, they the higher status has yep, and how the how they communicate with usually, everyone. Yes, usually, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes he flips the script on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, language is usually weird. My wife does not like Shakespeare. She has more of a an appreciation for Shakespeare over the last eleven years that we've been <laughs> together. Um, but the language was the barrier for her. Um. And a, and a thing that I found interesting, it's, it's something I did, uh, a director did once for us when we were doing, uh, one of the times that I was in Taming of the Shrew, um, we did what we call a colloquial through. Mm-hmm. A colloquial read through. So you have your script in front of you and you literally put it in modern day words. What yeah. you yeah. think that they're saying. We did that. that sounds familiar. We did that with <laughs> Juliet for a Oh, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. That's a good way to teach And that's, that's where we got. Well, the colloquial through is an incredible way to, <laughs> yeah. to, to figure out this is what I think that I'm saying. And you're not, you, you might be wrong, but that's a good way to learn. And then that helps you with your tone, your intonation, you're figuring out what am I actually saying? Right. How how can you make the audience feel what you're feeling if you don't understand what you're feeling? Exactly. And the and the, the language is a barrier to a lot of people. And a lot of the times it's a barrier to people because they let it be. I, th- I think that that's what happened to me. <laughs> they they let it they let it be a barrier because there are some things that you can hear from Shakespeare and you will understand 100%. This is the guy that used more words <laughs> than the King James Bible, seven over seven thousand words that he only used once. There are seven thousand words in in Shakespeare's plays that he only used one time. 
Because he cause in, all, in all in all of his plays, right? He invented words. He invented contractions. He invented expressions all the time. The reason that we have contractions is because of Shakespeare. Yeah, can't things like that. That's from Shakespeare. Wow. He he's he's the father of modern English. The problem is, <laughs> it was not written in modern English, but modern English came from Shakespeare. I know that was bad audio. I looked it, <laughs> <laughs> it was a very good visual. It was. Big red book. Yeah. It is a big red book. I set the book down. Mm. That made noise. Um, <laughs> this is all. This is all true facts. Yeah. <laughs> but saying what's that? So, so the language you're speaking now is because of this book, because of the things that Shakespeare wrote, and and that means everything that's in here can be said in a modern. In a modern language, in a modern way, and that's why colloquial read-throughs are a fantastic thing. I'm so glad that Cassie did that because it gave us the beautiful "Yo, Mopi Romeo, come out of the bushes." I love that too. I remember you told us about that. I loved it. Um, it's Dylan. Dylan. I was about to say Dylan. Dylan. Was, that was a Mercutio. But yeah, to to be able to to sit there and do it, and even with people that are are experienced. Shakespearean actors, it's still a good thing to do because you sit down and you go through and one, they're always hilarious. <laughs> sure. They're always hilarious because you end up just you you get to you get to fuck around, you get to feel comfortable with the language. And that's a big thing that that, that runs into problems is is people don't feel comfortable with the language. Um so you like Maggers. I do. Okay, who's your favorite character in Maggers? Um, oh, that's, uh, it's been a while since I actually saw slash read it. We're just reading through it at the beginning now. We um, just got through Act 1. That's okay. true. So you haven't met Macduff yet, then? No, um, I, I'm... You've I'm, met Banquo, I'm, you've met Mackers, you've yes. met Lady M. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with, okay. with Macduff, but I'd say, like, if I, if I thought about my two characters I thought were, were the most interesting to me at the time that I was exposed to it, I'd probably say either Macbeth or Lady Macbeth. Okay. Oh, yeah, they're, they're definitely very interesting. It's about it's about her controlling him and him letting himself be controlled. And him letting himself be controlled and both of them descending into madness. Yes. Um It's funny because um it's a it's a dramatization about people that actually existed. But like flipped and everything. We, so we did learn about that. So Macbeth is the last true Scottish king historically speaking. So, because uh, Duncan was the king of Scotland before before Macbeth, mm-hmm. and Macbeth defeated him on the field of battle, became the king of Scotland, and then Duncan's sons went to England and Ireland, just like they do in the play, Malcolm and Donaldine, and they came back with foreign armies, mm-hmm. and they came, and, and Malcolm comes back with the English, and the English help Malcolm take Scotland back. And then the English look at Malcolm and say, Oh, you thought we were leaving after this. Oh, no, no. <laughs> this is ours now. And so, historically, Mackers is the last true Scottish king because after his time, England then controlled Scotland. And so that's one of the, the things about it is... Um, and Shakespeare wrote a lot from the perspective of trying to keep monarchs happy. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, so, no, so like at so the time, James, it was King James, and, James and Elizabeth. And yes, and so whatever he could do to write to keep you know to keep them and their ancestors that was incredibly important because that's how we got paid. Yeah, <laughs> because he had to chase that paper, right? So he's trying to eat. You got to make eat. money. Got to eat. Got to eat. So you'll you'll find throughout Shakespeare that that hypothetical ancestors or real ancestors of the monarch at the time were painted in better light and things like that, and that helps you give clues into inside Shakespeare as well of what's going to happen or what you know you can you can kind of start to follow along and you can start to put that historical basis on the words, and then it helps you understand them better. I think Mackers is pretty straightforward, personally. You know, I mean, you have the witches and things like that and whatnot. But, what's you know... A, you, what's a Shakespeare play without some weird magic in it? I mean, what, honestly... What, I, like, do, what do the pirates mean in this play? What do the pirates mean in this play? It's a question you can ask about almost any Shakespeare play. The perpetual pirates of plot advancement. Yeah. <sighs> Gotta love pirates. There are always pirates. And what do they do? Sometimes they kidnap your main character for a little while. Sometimes they do. And That's what happens it in Hamlet. Ends up not being important. And so, yes, that also happens in Hamlet. The plot of Hamlet is so convoluted that at one point the main character gets kidnapped by pirates, and it's not even a major plot point. Nope. They oh, let him go. Okay. <laughs> I can't handle this. He keeps on talking. He's so existential, like yeah. what to be or not, just like leave. I whatever. Definitely missed that part. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's like a brief offhand mention. Like where's Hamlet? Oh, I get kidnapped by pirates. He'll be back in a little bit. Okay. He'll be back in a little bit is my favorite part of that. Yeah. Uh, they're not going to want to keep, like, Hamlet? Have you met, have you met Hamlet? Yep, ex- well, that's Hamlet exactly Jr. it. Nobody fucking wants to keep Hamlet. Ex- ex- oh, no. Of- Ophelia. Yes. 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 Good job. Yes. That was, that was a, that was a cup working. Clatter, a cup clatter of victory, sorry. Yes, like Ophelia. No, Horatio, Horatio and Ophelia, they want to keep Hamlet. Nobody else wants to keep Hamlet. Not even Hamlet. <laughs> That's yeah. what the whole speech is. What to be or not to be? That is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, <laughs> take arms against the sea of troubles, and if by opposing in them. And them. That's <laughs> when the pirates come in. The sea of troubles. That's right. The sea of troubles. The pirates. So, so we've established you don't hate Shakespeare. I don't hate Shakespeare anymore. I did, but that's just because I was a stubborn teenager. And well, no, slightly, and I totally get that. Slightly less stubborn teenager. I, to- I totally get that. I was, I, it's, uh, and language is, you know, a big part of the reason why, yeah. right? But again, I think that you, I should summarize Timon of Athens for you at some point. Because really, you should. Your generation should love Timon of Athens. Oh, yeah. 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 Explain it to us, and it's wonderful. Timon of Athens is about this guy who's super nice to his friends all the time and gives them money until he finds out that he's poor, actually, and has no money. (laughs) He runs out of money because he's been giving all of his friends money. So he asks his friends to give some money back to him, and all his friends are like, no, we're not going to do that. Nah, bro. And so Timon (laughs) flips. Nobody snaps harder than Timon of Athens. No, it's true. true. He invites all of his friends to a party, and they go, yay, you have money again. And he brings out covered dishes. They're like, yay, you have money for covered dishes. We're so excited to see what you're serving us. The fucking cloches cloches come off. And he's given them lukewarm bowls of water and rocks. 
And when they're like, what is this? He picks up the bowls of water, throws them in his friends' faces, runs away to live in a cave in the woods. <laughs> Where, when he gets, he, swear, he swears off money and everything. And then he keeps finding gold. And then he keeps in the fucking woods. finding mysterious fucking gold in the woods. Check out this rich hermit. And everybody comes <laughs> and, and like people, him. people, people come to bother him, and so he just chucks gold at them until they go away. <laughs> I see. And then people won't leave him alone. So he because carves, he has gold. Because he has gold. So he carves his own epitaph into a rock and kills himself. And that's the end of Timon of Athens. That's a that's a really great plot, I guess. The the message is so profound. Well, Timon of Athens is what's con- it's considered to be part of what is called Shakespeare's apocrypha. Okay, just like him just writing to be. There's weird. some there's some real bad plays. <laughs> Look, cause I love Shakespeare, but I I accept that not all of his works are good. One Romeo and Juliet exists. Oh. Right. Ooh. I oh. want to hear the complaints. I'm interested. I guess everything. Listen, listen to the podcast. <laughs> two or three episodes. There's, there's two episodes. Christina's I am. Them. Oh, gotcha. There's two episodes. I'm drunk. And um, <laughs> <laughs> very belligerent. I'm very belligerent because I hate that play. Okay. But you Those were not exact words were sober enough to be coherent about I was why. not. I was not so sober. Just, just, Beth and I and Christina trying to discuss the merits of Romeo and Juliet and Ryan just going, this play is stupid in the background. Is it? Yeah. Um, the part, many parts of the problem, like there, there's, a, there's myriad problems with the play. It's, it's, um, but when you set it on a playground, they all get better. Well, yeah, I mean, if you remove the fact that they're going to die at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're, because they're 14-year-old kids. Exactly. And they shouldn't be murdering themselves for love. Yeah. Because they don't know what it is. Yeah. Because they're 14-year-old kids. They're, they're fucking killing each other, killing themselves and each other over hormones. Yeah. But I like they, this. But they, a bitch. Be, but they should be chugging Red Bulls on the playground so that they can stick it to the man. Yeah. I, I much prefer children sticking it to the man. That's fuck, that's what our Romeo is. Fuck murdering me. yourself over stupid shit like love. You don't know what love kid. is when you're 13. To be I, fair, I, they didn't know better because everyone in their lives was awful. Accurate. That is, that's fair. Also, the show does look better in comparison because now we've read uh, um, Troy Lissing Well, Troy Lissing Cressida which with is, Rape Uncle. Which is, well, yeah, because, so yeah, it's <laughs> It's awful, and it's essentially Romeo and Juliet, but the prototype of it, and it's, he gets it's proto- with it halfway oh, through. Yeah. It's proto Romeo and Juliet, yes. and like halfway through, he like just quits on that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. the Trojan, about the Trojan War. War. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, hey, well, he yeah. just starts yeah. writing stories. I would prefer to read about the Trojan War. He said, "Well, he sets it in. He sets it in the Trojan War." And we literally think it's because like halfway through, he's like, "Well, fuck, I'm done with this," and. uh... <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, Achilles. He's pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Ooh, I read the Odyssey. Let's watch him kill some dudes. I read the Iliad and the Odyssey once. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's Troilus and Cressida. There's a creepy uncle who like tries to get Troilus and Cressida to fuck each other and then tries to watch. Oh, no, oh, it's not. It's oh. not good. It's not a good one. Oh, yeah, it's bad. Good. Also, so it's re- also in the apocrypha, shouldn't, right shouldn't there with Simone of Athens. Not going to recommend that one. Oh. But the, there's some of the show, though. <laughs> there's yeah. some. There's some that that 
people think are bad that are not as bad. Like Timon of Athens. Timon of Athens is actually pretty fucking great. And Cymbeline, I actually enjoyed. Cymbeline was not terrible, but that's also considered one of the Apocrypha. Pericles, who's up there still. We have not done Pericles. Pericles. I think he's part of the Apocrypha. Coriolanus is also... Well, no, Coriolanus is not in the Apocrypha. But a lot of people don't do Coriolanus because... I don't know why. Because I've been in Coriolanus and I love the play. Um, It's the Anus play. Yeah. Uh, is that just, it's just because the name? Just you, it's just because the name. Because okay. the name. That's, what, that's how it's referenced in the complete works of William Shakespeare abridged. Oh, I love the oh, complete okay. works of William Shakespeare. So because it, 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 the only the only mention of Coriolanus in abridged is we're not going to talk about the anus play. <laughs> <laughs> that is literally the only time Coriolanus is brought up in the entire complete works of yep. William Shakespeare abridged. I've, I've been in abridged. Um, we did it here in town with Lionface, um, me and Tyler Ward and our friend Michael Porteous. We we uh, were directed by our friend, good friend Laura Crawford, and we we rehearsed the play in seven days. Oh my! Are there only three characters? There yes. are three actors in the play. Yeah, <laughs> but you're doing all the characters. So, oh no! Yeah. Oh yes, that's yeah. right. My well, favorite you, you part recreate is all thirty-seven, like, all thirty-seven plays. So you do you do 30, 36 plays before intermission. Yeah. Um, okay, so but what's funny about the, the complete works of William Shakespeare Bridge? I just read through the script and I thought it was hilarious, but almost half of the time that I was laughing, it was from the footnotes that take up like so much of. Oh the, yeah, the stuff. well that's because you have to have the footnotes to explain it when you're when you're doing the show, but the audience okay. gets it right because yeah. it because you're taking. You're, you're spoofing on, you know, the, the language and, and the words and everything else. You're taking something that is by too many people considered sacrosanct and, and, you know, like, yeah. And you're, and you're fucking with it and you're poking at it. Like, and that's what we do here on Shakespeare. And that's actually why I think that you of all people might actually really enjoy the podcast <laughs> is because of the fact that there are sometimes we, we sit down and we just like this play. We don't sit here and go, ah, garbage. Shakespeare. Yeah. We don't do that. I mean, when I have my plays that I love, like I love yeah. Titus Andronicus. I love A Midsummer Night's Dream. We're going to fight about Twelfth Night when we get there. I hate Twelfth Night. I know you it's do. It's hot garbage. And I like Twelfth Night. <laughs> so we're going to fight about it. But what's worth pointing out at this juncture is that it was never meant to be Shakespeare. Yeah. It was... It was no. Theater for the masses. It yes. it was you know we we joke on the show a fair bit about the you know uh, contiguous Shakespeare universe, the Shakespeare theatrical universe. It's These our version the of Marvel the Marvel movies of the day. Yeah, yeah. It like was, this it was, was this was accessible to everyone. Yeah, he was he was writing. Yes, he was writing for the people who paid to put their ass on a cushion, but he was writing for the people that were sitting down there that were there for the dick and fart jokes. Uh, yeah, of course, because Shakespeare is the king of dick and fart jokes. Yeah, that's true. You can't get through a play. Without multiple dick and fart. Can't swing a dead cat. (laughs) That's right. You cannot swing a dead cat without hitting a dick and fart joke. Mm. That is also a great image. I'm just all sorts of things tonight. Wow. But so that's 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 the thing about Shakespeare, and I totally get language being a barrier because you can you can run into that hard. And if you have the wrong approach from a teacher or whoever's introducing you to it, then you're gonna run into the problem of of not 
you're not going to get it. And then you're going to, you're going to be either disappointed that you didn't get it because somebody else near you got it. And you're like, well, how did they get it? And I don't get it. Or you're going to, and you know, that, that leads to the resentment. And that's why people don't like Shakespeare. They're like, well, it's all hoity toity and it's intellectual. No, I'm sorry. It's not the, the amount of, so the amount of murder, gore, blood, death, dick, fart, poop, jokes in William Shakespeare. Like this guy, he was he was so prolific. Yeah. He was he was like the Stephen King of, you know, like churning out like Yeah, bad play a year, give or take. Yeah, you know. He you know, what's that? James Patterson. That guy writes yeah. like a fucking million murder mystery novels or whatever. Tom Clancy. Tom Clancy. Yeah, same thing. You know, so like that's that was that was Billy Shakes back in the day. And, and I'm, I'm never going to call him anything but Billy Shakes now. <laughs> We're like very familiar terms here. My, my, car is, my car is nicknamed Billy Shakes, Billy Shakes because of, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Billy Billy Shakes here was he was like Chase said he was the MCU of the 1500s and you know the late 1500s early 1600s yeah and uh, and everything about it was accessible so so what happens though over time is we move away from. The type of language that's written by Shakespeare, that and everything right, becomes yeah. more modern and less flowery, and you know everything. You know, we we become a much more colloquial people, and then you know, I mean, the slang of Shakespeare's time is now confusing to people that are you know four hundred to five hundred years removed from it, and then you get English teachers who think that. You have to have a master's degree and an appreciation for the the art to be able to fucking understand Shakespeare, and they approach that approach that way with high school kids. And you can't take high school kids and try to fucking get the existential crisis of Hamlet by just giving them the text and going, tell me about the existential crisis of Hamlet. Because most of them don't care at all. Well, most of them don't even know what a fucking existential crisis is. That's a great point. Not at least in those terms. Like, you may have had an existential crisis at that point, but you didn't know what the fuck it was. What I think is also worth mentioning is if you're still having trouble with the language... What Ryan is getting at is that, and this is, I think, kind of like one of the thesis statements of the show, Shakespeare is meant to be seen, not read. Absolutely. Yeah. Hard. Dr. Emery. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I just got my chills. Dr. Emery is tossing a drink right now. I'm going to be the first to admit that I am the least educated of Shakespeare of anyone on the podcast. I think I'm the only non-theater major. Uh, at least you know. Uh, what well, uh, the theater? Yeah, yeah. Of the you know traditional hosts, like I, I was, I was an art major. student who you know like dabbled in the theater fraternity and then got co-opted into doing Shakespeare in the Park, and here I am ten years later. That was my uh, fault. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yours and Beth's. Yeah, but <laughs> and Cassie's. Uh, actually, no, not no. Cassie's. I, I knew I I Chase first. I didn't yep. know him then. Oh. I knew yeah. Chase before Cassie did. Uh, I was there when she swooped him. 
Regardless, um, the uh, the Shakespeare that I do know and the ones that I am most vocal about talking about on this show are the ones that I've seen because those are the ones I understand. Even the ones that I did read are like they just get lost because I haven't seen them. I don't understand them because I also even the shows I'm in, I struggle with the language. It's tough getting it unless I do a colloquial through. Or what the, am I? What am I saying? Exactly. Am what I am saying? I saying? Or it is a very simple scene where I can like work with scene partners. Like when we did um, Twelfth Night, I like my scene partners were Pat Mahood and uh, and Michael Porteous, and we were very briefly. And you very very briefly. The only time we've ever acted together, exactly, um, was an exchange of four lines in the middle of Twelfth exactly. Night. But it was. Um, very diff- easy for me to just lose myself in what was going on, but because I had them, it's like, hey, what is going on here? They, we were able to talk through it. So if you're still having trouble with uh, with the language, watch more of it. Listen to more of it. There and I, and I got some, some great recommendations, too. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard of Julie Taylor? No. She did Lion King on Broadway. She, she did Spider-Man on Turn off the dark. Yeah, Listen, yeah. everyone's allowed one bad project, and that was Julie Taymor. Okay, but, but Julie Taymor has done two phenomenal Shakespeare film adaptations. <laughs> Titus Andronicus, she did. She did Titus back in 99, 98 or 99 it came out. And Sir Anthony Hopkins plays Titus Andronicus. Phenomenal film adaptation. <laughs> Watch that. Kind of hard to get a hold of, just putting it out It there. is hard, but I do have it on VHS. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. VHS. Look, I have a VHS player because <laughs> I refuse to watch Star Wars in any other method until they stop releasing the ones that George Lucas fucked with after the fact. <laughs> Look, I had to introduce my daughter to the ones the way that I saw them. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Um, and she loved them when she was four and we sat down and finally started watching Star Wars. Um, no, and then she did an amazing adaptation of The Tempest. Your daughter did? No. <laughs> Julie Thank Taymor. you for making oh, the joke that I was thinking of. Oh, well, well That's really impressive, but like... <laughs> <laughs> actually at four? Wow. <laughs> She's six now. <laughs> she, is, she is very impressive at six. Um, no, Julie, Julie Taymor did, did an amazing uh, adaptation of The Tempest. Um, with Alfred Molina, Russell Brand, uh, Dame Helen Mirren. Mm-hmm. As Prospero. As Prospero. Nice. Um, Jaman Hansu played Caliban. Um, Felicity Jones was Miranda. Felicity Jones played Miranda. Um, Alan... Coming. Alan Cumming played one of the brothers. Played the the brother. No. I know who E. Cumming. Okay, now listen, listen. I I've grown a lot in my appreciation of poetry and Shakespeare. I will never accept E. E. Cummings. The man is ridiculous. <laughs> Haven't read any of his work. No, that's that's fair. No, that's fair. I I accept that. I, I accept can't. That. I can't. I can't. I, I accept that. I, I accept that about E.E. E. Cummings. That's, no, that's certainly... I think, though, what might be a little bit easier to get a hold of, because I'm not sure what the accessibility of Tempest is. It's been a little while. I have that one on, on Blu-ray. Well, and I know for a fact, sitting in the next room on DVD, 
uh, is the uh, Much Ado About Nothing Joss that Whedon. Joss Whedon directed mm. over, what was it, like a week? 12 days. 12, 12 days. 12 days. In a... He had a 12-day break between projects, and he was like, hey, do a bunch of my actor friends want to come and over to film a Nathan Fillion. I feel like it's just yeah. leaving, like, a lot yeah. of Nathan Fillion is in it. Yeah, a bunch, bunch of Firefly um, people. They yeah. got, uh, the, what is it? From, from uh, Marvel, from Coulson. Yeah, yeah. Coulson. Coulson's, Coulson's in it. Coulson's in it. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, it is, it is a star-studded cast. His wife yeah. is in Dirty Dancing. And they were all reading their lines, like, in between takes. It's a wonderful production, and... It, very easy to rock, uh, and also you can also one get of the your, funnier shows. You too. can also get yeah, your hands too. on the Tempest that I directed. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I have that on. I have that on DVD as well. Comedia Del Art Tempest. Pretty sure that one is, at Needle Hall. That one is still available online. I wonder. well, and there's there's parts of our. I know that at least there's parts of Mackers that we did. At least some of the fights are on YouTube. Yes, I from know. When we did Mackers. Nine years ago? Something like that. Eight or nine years ago? Nine years ago. Nine years ago. It was right after we started dating. You did Mackers. Definitely yes. going to go into school and start calling it Mackers. <laughs> in front of yes. It's like, oh, Mackers, you know by a bit of shakes. And she's going to look at me like, I'm crazy. <laughs> go, go, tell, go tell your teacher that you were on a recording of an episode of a podcast about Shakespeare over the weekend. Talking about how I wasn't yeah. the, huge, the biggest fan of it, <laughs> in which case she will drop my grade by two letters. <laughs> but the point is... I'll write you a note. Okay. <laughs> the point is, see Shakespeare performed if right. you can. Yeah. And if you can't... Sucks. Still read it out loud. Oh, okay. Like, even as you're reading a play, if you are having trouble understanding, read it out loud. Read, read it out loud, and that will translate help you get it. the words. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. Hear somebody do it, if at all possible. Is that a good segue for you? Oh, yeah, I'll do it. I'm going to do it now. So, Henry V, we talked about. Yes. This is the true test. I'm not a Henry fan. <laughs> it's, it's one of the okay. ones I don't like. But I I don't know how anybody can hear the most inspirational speech ever written in the human language, <laughs> any human language, and not be a fan of Henry V. All right, is this the is this the once more onto the breach? No, once more onto the breach, dear friends. Once more is fantastic, but it is not the most inspirational speech written in the, in any human language. Good, thank you. Good, cool. <laughs> thank you, brothers. Yeah. Yeah, say, have you ever heard of, yeah. you've heard a little show by HBO called Band of Brothers that get their name, that gets its name from this? I also don't watch TV. I know, you already mentioned that, you hipster. <laughs> don't, don't listen to music, don't watch TV. <laughs> so, what we've got here is the Battle of Agincourt is about to happen. They're in a field in France outside of Agincourt Castle. And everyone is despondent. They have to, they just have to get past this goddamn castle so they can get home. And they're all ready to fucking quit. Yep. And they wish they had more Englishmen there. And this fellow by the name of Westmoreland, who happens to be Henry's cousin, says that he wants some some goddamn more Englishmen. Or Warwick. Warwick is who does it. Westmoreland's in the... He's mentioned as well. You know, and Warwick goes, Oh, now that we had here but one ten thousand of those men in England that do no work today. Hmm. What's he that wishes so? My cousin Warwick. No, my fair cousin. If we are not to die, we are not to do our country loss. But if to live, the fewer men, the greater share of honor. God's will, I pray thee, wish not one man more. By Jove, I am not covetous, 
of gold, nor care I who feeds upon my cost. It earns me not if men my garments wear. Such outward things dwell not in my desires. But if it be a sin to covet honor, and the most offending soul alive. Gods, no faith, my cuz. Wish not a man from England. God's peace I would not lose so great an honor. As one man more methinks would share for me, for the best hope I have. Oh, do not wish one more. Rather proclaim it presently through my host, that he which hath no stomach for this fight, let him depart. His passport shall be made, and crowns for convoy put into his purse. We would not die in that man's company that fears his fellowship to die with us. This day is called the Feast of Crispian. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand a tiptoe when this day is named and rouse him at the name of Crispian. He that shall see this day and live old age will yearly on the vigil feast his neighbors and say, Tomorrow is St. Crispian. Then will he strip his sleeve and show his scars and say, These wounds I had on Crispin's day. Old men forget, yet all shall be forgot. But he'll remember with advantages what feats he did that day. Then shall our names familiar in his breath as household words, Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester, be in their flowing cups freshly remembered. This story shall the good man teach his son. And Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by, but we from this day to the ending of the world, but we in it shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England now abed shall hold themselves accursed. Hold their manhood's sheep. Shall think themselves a curse they were not here. And hold their manhood's sheep. While any speaks that fought with us. Upon St. Crispin's day. Now tell me. That is not some inspiring shit. <laughs> <laughs> Am I, do you do you want me to tell you? <laughs> I want you to tell me if you if you cannot be inspired by words of a man saying, "Don't get me more men. We have this many men, and this many men is exactly how many men we need. And this many men, if we fucking die here today, guess what? We die here today, and I don't want any other motherfuckers come here and steal my glory and die with me because they're not here now." If they've been here with us all along, dying across the breadth of France as we've marched our way back to England, then sure, then, they, then they're good enough to die with me here. But fuck those guys that stayed in England. And how is that not inspiring to look at your, your fellow, the leaders of your armies, looking, these, this is to his fucking generals and the rest of his army, and he's going, go fuck yourselves. If you don't want to die here, go. Leave. Leave now. Because everybody that tries to die with me tomorrow and we live, those guys are going to remember this day. 
And they're going to go about the rest of their lives and they're going to teach their sons and people still celebrate the Feast of St. Crispian. Now, it's not a common holiday here in the United States. <laughs> For pretty good reason. Yeah. Because it doesn't mark our triumph over the forces of France. Yes, that it doesn't. one time. Well, the one time the Battle of Agincourt was fought, there was another time. There was a lady by the name of Joan of Arc there. Yeah. There's a different Shakespeare play that involves that one. And it's not very good. It is terrible. It's really oh. awful. Oh. No, I really like... Which Joan of Arc is the best part of that. Joan of Arc is the best part of that play. the best part of anything that you put her in anyway. She is the best part of that play. That was a heads excellent adventure. I would argue that she is not the best part of that. Okay. That's... uh, Where's Joan of Arc? Which Henry? It's one of them. It's, It's, uh... Not the fifth. No, no it's not, not the eighth. Is it Richard the second? Probably. Might be Richard the second. <laughs> I hope not. Henry the eighth. Well, now I have to. Yeah, now we have to. Think. We yeah. we did the play. We, we did it, we, but we, yeah, we did the play. Um, this is how little of an impression it made on us. <laughs> we know Joan of Arc was in it, but we don't remember which one it was. But no, yeah, there are two battle, famous battles of battles of Agincourt in British English. Henry four one. It's four one. Yeah. Okay. There are forty one Henrys. Henry Henry the, Henry the Fourth Part One. So there's Henry the Fourth Part One and Part Two, and that's about uh, Henry Bolingbroke, which is Henry the Fifth's dad. Yep. Henry the Fourth Part Two is largely about Henry the Fifth being dumb, being a dickhead, <laughs> running around getting drunk with his fat friend Falstaff. Nice, great guy. Nice, good, good play, man. good, good plot, and, and Pistol and Bardolph and and all of them that a lot of them show up in Henry the Fifth. Um, it's part of that, you know, Shakespeare yeah. extended universe, the the continue the continuous Shakespeare theatrical mm. universe. Henry the Sixth has three parts for no goddamn reason. For no reason. Does not mean that. When we actually, well, that's actually the only time that we did two plays in one set of episodes. We did Henry the Sixth Part One and Part Two. We did not give them their own episodes because every play we do, we give them their own episodes. Yeah. So. You know, when we do Measure for Measure, it'll have two episodes. Now, Henry the Sixth Part 1 and Part 2, they got sandwiched. Because really the only one that matters is Henry the Sixth Part 3. Which is another one that is better than people think. It is. It is far better than people think. But it is It is the end of the Henriad as it stands because Henry the Eighth is separate. And if you think there are too many Henry plays, then you'll get along with Beth because she also thinks there are too many Henry plays. Well, you have to consider that that Richard the Second is the beginning of the the Henriad. Richard the Second is technically a Henry play. <laughs> Richard the Third is Sorry, also. Sorry, I'm going to undo all of your work with Thomas on this episode, so I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> Richard, yeah, well, Richard, I mean, Richard, like, the... Titus Andronicus is like a Romeo play. You know, you know. <laughs> well, no, that's 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 Troilus oh, no, and Cressida. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's all coming unraveled. I was building a structure of love. It's falling down. But no, but no, you, you just, you, just you, don't look at the histories for now. Just don't, don't look at it. Don't and, look at and, it and honestly, I. I Cross, swear, yeah. I, I, I swear, I swear to God, do do avoid the histories. Actually, um, until until you until you're ready to delve into the the depth of language that you have to delve through to get into the histories, the, a lot of them read like a brick, and they a lot of them perform like a brick as well because they were histories. Uh-huh. They were somewhat historically accurate. <laughs> and some of them have fun moments. So we talk a lot about how King John is awful, and it is. Um, but it has one of the 
I think, unintentionally funniest moments in a Shakespeare play, which is King John sends somebody to kill his nephew Arthur because he thinks that's a threat to his throne. And then he repents of his decision. Decides not to have Arthur killed. Don't go kill Arthur. While all that's happening, Arthur is escaping his cell, falls off a wall and dies, (laughs) is found by the guards. And then King John comes along and they're like, you killed your nephew Arthur. And he's like, I did not kill my nephew Arthur. And they step aside and go, you mean this dead nephew Arthur? And he's like, he is dead, but I did not do that. I did not do that. I thought about it very hard, but I I, I was gonna yes, then said no. I'm I was, sure I, I had a soliloquy about it, and I, I was, I was gonna do it. Also, in Hamlet, Hamlet is Hamlet is 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 six speeches in a sword fight. Uh-huh. The only thing that matters is is the stuff that Hamlet says, and half of that is an existential crisis and doesn't matter. Um, but he does have some really good stuff, and it's not to be or not to be. Oh, what a piece of work is man. Is oh, an yeah. incredible monologue. That one's good. To be or not to be, I mean, it's, it's good, it's well written, it, but it's, it's overdone. Everybody, yeah. you know, yeah. everybody's been worn out on to be or not to be. Most people can quote at least... You know, a third. I, of... I read it in a Calvin and Hobbes comic strip at one point. That <laughs> yeah. tells you how, how deeply it's permeated the. Yes, everybody, everybody can do. <laughs> yeah, everybody can can you know pull out to be or not to be and be like, yeah, okay, I, yeah, I know Shakespeare to be or not to be. Slings and arrows on toad seas of trouble. <laughs> speaking of slings, speaking of slings and arrows. Oh, delightful! <laughs> if you watched TV. I would recommend there's a there's a, a Canadian broadcasting show called Slings and Arrows and they had three seasons. The potential potential that it may be returning. Mm-hmm. I did hear that. Um like a prequel or something. Yeah. I don't know. But they do three seasons and each season covers one of three Shakespeare plays. So season one, Romeo and Juliet. And it's about it's about a, it's based, loosely based off of Stratford. It's about a Shakespeare festival in a Canadian town trying to run. And they focus on the big Shakespeare play that they're doing that season. And so Romeo and Juliet is the first one they do. Mackers is the second one that they do. And Lear is the third one they do. Well, Hamlet. No, Hamlet is the first one they do. They do Hamlet in season one. Romeo and Juliet's in there somehow. I'm nodding <laughs> as if I've definitely seen this show. You should see this show. I know that I should, but I haven't. Midsummer Night's me. Dream is partially in show. there. Midsummer Night's Dream is in there somewhere. Yeah. Tempest is briefly mentioned in the beginning. Anyway, the the fact is 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 there are lots of avenues out there that make Shakespeare accessible, and it's a shame that high school teachers are doing the opposite. <laughs> um, when when there when there is, are such resources that you know, but everyone is still teaching Shakespeare like it's 1950, um, and that it is like the 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 gospel, yeah, right. Like I mean, Cassie is wearing her drunken Shakespeare theologian, you know, professional drunken Shakespeare theologian. We are like I I do. I mean I. I Shakespeare is kind of a religion for me, but it's not a religion that doesn't have its flaws. So it's a religion. 
Well, exactly, but I accept the flaws. Yeah. Unlike yeah, most as... religion. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. And on that lit match. Yes. Yeah. We are getting a little late. So oh, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, we probably have we to let these... get we, these young we, people... We probably have to let these people go. Um, yes. Um, but, Thomas, have we succeeded? Has Ryan convinced you to love Shakespeare in one episode? Ryan has significantly budged me in the direction of loving well, Shakespeare. I Have I gotten to grudging respect? Oh, I have respect for, yeah. And like, especially like today, I, I uh, like it helped me progress. I have a lot of respect. I just also have a lot of disrespect for other parts. And I feel like it balances out pretty well. Yeah, but you, no, you that's, have, that's fair. You, you have tugged the rope in the tug of war game towards... The, this is a weird. This is a weird way. breaks <laughs> down. The, the, the metaphor is not. It's not standing up. It's not. It's not holding up. That's fine. And that's and that's fine. I, I would fine. say you have definitely achieved your goal for tonight in this one episode. Well, hey, I'm glad that you. I'm glad that you all came over. I know that there was a lot of talking on my part, but I think that was part of what was going to happen anyway. Yes, um, that's what happens on the show, really. <laughs> yeah, well, well, usually Beth is here to balance me out, and Cassie's here to tell us to be quiet. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, let's continue to talk about the actual play we're supposed to be talking about right now. That's we're not whatever right now, but we're not doing that. Doing. But no, this is actually this was. So we're going to run out of plays eventually. And a lot of what we're going to do then is going to, we're going to branch out in our format and we're going to, we're going to look at other things, Shakespeare and, and how we're going to talk about Shakespeare in different ways. And right now we're, we're, right now we're, we're slogging through the plays because sometimes it is because there are certain plays that are hot garbage. And I will be the first person to admit that as someone who loves Shakespeare and like, enjoys and really appreciates the art that Shakespeare is, there's also lots of bullshit. <laughs> and for every for every amazing play that Shakespeare wrote, there is King John. Or Troilus and Cressida. Troilus and Cressida. Or I mean I can't say it about Timon of Athens now. I actually really enjoy that play. I, I had only read it once before we did that episode. Yeah. Or Henry the Sixth Part Two. Well, Henry the Sixth Part Two, Part One and Part Two, both hot garbage. Henry the Sixth Part Three, pretty good. Not bad. <laughs> um, and so like, but it, it you know it's a shame when when people are turned off of something that should still be accessible to everyone because when it was written, it was. Yeah. It was written for the groundlings and everyone else, and so it's so it's it's a shame to me, and that's that's probably why I get so up in arms about how Shakespeare is perceived, is because there are people out there that are working counteractive by by putting Shakespeare on a pedestal. Mm. They're actually making it worse for getting people interested in learning about Shakespeare. 100, yeah, one hundred percent. So when you put it on a pedestal, you act like there's no faults to it. And how great it is, but they're they're only covering three, maybe four plays, and they're covering some good ones. They're covering, well, I'm still on the fence about how good Caesar is, but they're covering Hamlet and Mackers and you know and Henry much Five do. and Much Ado and you know Much Ado. I really didn't enjoy Much Ado. Much Ado is a fantastic play. I've been so, in that one totally, totally. Much Ado like three or four times. Yeah, much Sorry, of, I much gotta get it over Beth. Yep, Beth's not here, so you had to do it. Much yep. dope. 
Um, it's a thing. Okay, it's, it's a, a thing. thing. But, it's a, but it's a shame that there are people out there that are, because of the way they're approaching Shakespeare, and it's because of how Shakespeare was approached to them, it's like a just a perpetuating cycle of... And I, you know, and I, maybe I have a different approach because I found it myself. Yeah, no, totally. That's, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so I'm glad that you came over. I'm glad to see you again, Bob. It's been a long time. It was nice to meet you. It was nice to meet you. Um, and this has been Shakespeare. Yes. Uh, completely different Shakespeare than you're used to, listeners. Um, so... Now what we do is we go around and we sign off, and so we'll let you guys sign off first. You don't want to give us like a quick demo or something? <laughs> we, we can handle this. You just say your, say your name again. Oh, this is, now, this okay. has been Shakespeare, okay. and I am, and then... Bob Walters. Carter Whitting. Thomas Long. Tara Sloan. Cassie Greenlee. Ryan Halfhill. And Chase Greenlee. Say goodnight, John Boy. Goodnight, John, John Boy. What, Paul? What, Paul? Oh, dicks. Uh, Oh man, we just confused a whole lot of people now. <laughs> <laughs>